if Orange County is developing this infrastructure for social enterprise, what are your orgs doing that could change the future here? Welcome to 501c3BS, busting the myths of the social sector and deprogramming you for organizational growth. Brought to you by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics, celebrating our 25th anniversary year in 2021. I'm Zoot Velasco, director of the Gianneschi and your host for this podcast journey. Can you tell us about maybe something you funded or something you were involved with in Orange County that was a great success and a great model of social enterprise? And um, I know uh, Project Kinship came up and they were very extra lucky in that they, they came about the same time as some propositions came out in California that put a lot of money into the formerly incarcerated and that helped them quite a bit but they had to grow very quickly with that money in a very short time frame. Did you want to talk a little bit more in depth about that, Anne? And then the rest of you, if you could maybe think about a success you've had in your organization, that's a great model for others. Sure. So yeah, the Project Kinship story and the story of their radical growth um, really came about, um, they were growing, I would say, normally and with mostly grant funding. Uh, until Prop 47 passed in the state of California, which made the um, the the current the, the previous um, I'm gonna I'm at a loss for words here, but uh, the possession of marijuana being a felony was reduced back down to a misdemeanor, and thousands were re- released from jail, um, which also spawned the state investing in reentry services as these people were going out to the communities. Um, so some of the success was that Project Kinship was well-positioned and had fantastic interventions um, and strategies to support this population um, and received a large chunk of the funding uh, that came down through Orange County. Um, This sustainability isn't, you know, you'd think, oh, you know, manna from heaven, mother load, we're ready, but having too much government funding is also a danger. And so uh, the the infrastructure required to manage both state and federal contracts and the audit requirements and the data requirements of that um, really needs private funding and unrestricted funding to build up. So it all comes back to that diversification across revenue sources so um, that the the infrastructure that you're building on um, is stable uh, as the different sources of revenue come through. Um, Project Kinship's kind of sister organization or affiliate is Homeboys up in Los Angeles. And you may know Homeboys as having a lot of social enterprises, you know, t-shirt production, the cafe, they're constantly focusing on enterprises. And the evolution of Project Kinship in Orange County is very different. They haven't been able to get their social enterprises off the ground because they've been managing such large public state county and federal contracts. So it's a fascinating uh, comparison, but the plan is to start, begin to start launching the social enterprises to balance and diversify the model. So that's a little more information on Project Kitchen. Any of the rest of you like to talk about maybe a, a model that you think would be a great model of social enterprise in Orange County that you've worked with? There is a great example. Um, you know, I think social enterprise have different, can, has, can have different models. As some of you know, um, you know, the typical example of Tom Shoes, which is, you know, buy one, give one away, you know, that's one model. There are a lot of different models. 
Um, one organization we're currently working with is called Renewable Farms. And um, when we met with the founder, Aaron, um, he was already doing really well. And his model, um, to me, is kind of a, an easy example of a social enterprise, which is um, they are growing produce on land provided by cities to give away that produce to people in need. And they are making money on, by renting the farm for events um, on the weekends. They uh, are doing really well. They are like booked, I think two years already, <laughs> next two years, and they had some you know, backup with COVID. Um, we are currently working with them on, um, you know, on scaling, on building a strong business model to use to leverage that income from events on you know, private and corporate to uh, fuel the, you know, these farms and hopefully be able to, to create many more of that because they are really um, able to, uh, to produce food that people need. So that's an, an example. And I'm sure some of you have heard about, about that story, but um, that, that is a good example as well of um, you know, having that constant revenue and growing that revenue so you can actually grow your organization. Todd, did you want to talk about Find Your Anchor or Samaritan or one of the other social enterprise that you helped launch with your fund? Yeah, I can talk about Samaritan because it was one of the most popular projects of all the funders. And um, it's a technology, technology solution to helping the homeless. And why it, it's so innovative is um, there's a lot of amazing nonprofits that support the homeless that do rely on a lot of funding to make that possible. And they help a lot of people you know, to self-sufficiency, but there's still quite a few that don't fit into their program model for various reasons. And so Samaritan was this new way to connect with those who weren't already connecting and then find a way for the community, like all of us, to support them on their path to sufficiency. And so it's an app. And so the way it works is the person that needs help goes into the app and then I can pull it up. I can, I can read all about them. And this is an alternative to sitting um, at the stoplight and have someone with a sign saying, will you help me? Because that's what we all encounter. And we all go like, is this going to help them? <laughs> we don't know. We want to help. Um, and Samaritan came up with a way to do it. And their motto is walk with, not by, because we all feel guilt that we walk by someone struggling, but we also know that just handing them money isn't necessarily the solution. So they came up with a new way. And when we presented it to the homeless organizations, they were a little hesitant. But when we presented it as another tool, then donors stepped forward and, and they were more willing to embrace it. Uh, they, were, they were hesitant because they've already got so much on their plate. So to, to, to add another component, you know, more staffing to run that program, you know, was a, a bit daunting for them. And the, the piece that makes it somewhat sustaining is every time I make a contribution to help someone, you know, whether it's to get new clothes for their jobs, whatever, through the app, I can give money to support the um, Samaritan moving forward. I can add a dollar every time or $5. So, just like other things you might do, like GoFundMe's where, you know, where they say, hey, will you give us a few bucks also? Uh, they've done the same thing, which, which brings in some sustainability to them, even though we gave them money to incubate it. Just to clarify a little bit about what the Samaritan app does, the founder, you know, wanted to be able to have a conversation with people you're passing without feeling 
like you're being, you know, shaken down or that that you give them a dollar it's going to go towards liquor or something that's not going to maybe alleviate the problem. So what he's done is create an app where they're carrying a fob with them that um, goes to their caseworker. And when you walk by somebody, you'll get a ding on your phone and you'll open up your your text and it'll tell you the entire life story of the person you just passed on the street. And, and when you give them money, it goes to their caseworker and it can be used as vouchers for haircuts, for groceries, for anything that they use, but you know, it's not, it's not being used to further an addiction, for example. So uh, it, it's kind of a, a lifeline through their counselor that they're working with. And that's how the app works. Just to clarify that a little bit more, Todd. Yes, and then also me, the one giving them the five, 10, 20 bucks, I can send them a message directly, uh, which of, of encouragement. And, you know, we all like to get an attaboy every now and then. You can do that quite quickly when you support someone that way. And JJ, we had a student at, at uh, Cal State Fullerton who invented an app that is now being used by, I think, over 50 um, 50 dispatchers around the country in different cities for 911 services. Do, do you do you know what I'm talking about? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and I also have another point. So yes, I, we have a student who uh, is a brilliant uh, software uh, creator, and he created a uh, a tool that could be used by small organizations, fire, rescue, snowplow to automate uh, the dispatch uh, uh, services, which are largely manual. And uh, he discovered a whole world of people out there that need type of help. Uh, uh, and in fact, uh, his uh, uh, services were deployed uh, during the uh, hurricane season a couple of years ago. And uh, it, uh, his tool used by uh, rescue organizations actually saved about 700 people's lives. And it, it started with a thought that, oh, dispatch shouldn't be manual, it should be automated. Now it's a for-profit entity. It, and I'm gonna tie something back to what I said originally about business models. And if I can just leave the uh, uh, social enterprise space for a second to kind of give you an example. So I think that uh, organizations big and small actually need to have more wheels on the ground. They shouldn't be dependent just on one business model. And in fact, by having multiple business models, if uh, you get a flat tire, you can continue going down the road, so to speak. So I have a friend uh, who uh, owns about uh, 20 acres uh, of uh, estate grapes, okay? And he's got uh, his house there. It's a lovely world. All, all you need is probably $15, $20 million to start it, right? But uh, so he makes wine, right? And so he uh, initially sold wine to uh, restaurants. And then he did it online. And then he discovered that, wow, you make a lot more money if you sell it from your tasting room, right? So there's one business model in place. And then he developed all these fans of his wine, right? And so he uh, conducts uh, a internship program and a training program and how to be a winemaker. 
and all these people are interning at uh, his uh, his winery, helping him with the crush and the production of the wine, etc. So there's an, another uh, business model for him. He's got this beautiful uh, piece of property, so he rents it out for uh, weddings and concerts. All right, and uh, he charges per head. They got to clean it up. And oh, by the way, if they're serving alcohol, it's got to be his wine, right? Oh, and he did one other thing, uh, is he's also uh, a minister and he conducts the weddings on his property, all right? So he created this multidimensional uh, business model all based on uh, a piece of property and, and the grapes. And I should also tell you, he's an enrolled agent and he does their taxes too. So it's, uh, there's an opportunity <laughs> for, for small businesses to expand their footprint. And it gives them some safety that if the grant money doesn't come in, if the donor uh, you know, relocates or passes on simply by the diversity of the ways that you can create uh, inbound uh, revenue. That's a great example of monetizing everything. I wonder if he has ADHD. I think, <laughs> I think uh, that might be the driver of a lot of um, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurship is is just having ADHD. All right. So uh, I don't see any other hands up, and that brings us to the next question, which is, if a listener to our conversation wanted to be part of this movement in some way through one of your organizations, what's a way they could do that? I'll start. There's several ways for OCCF. Um, one is we have a website called OC Nonprofit Central. So make sure you have a profile there and then post your update there. Uh, two, um, every month we host um, meet and greets. Uh, you can sign up to come meet with our staff so we can get to learn about what you're doing. Um, and then three, just call or email. <laughs> we'll talk to you. Uh, or they so could donate money maybe too. Who knows? Somebody might be independently wealthy here. Uh, yeah, that works also. <laughs> Great. A anyone else? Uh, I see Isabel's hands up and then Anne. Yeah, we'll encourage um, people who might be interested in uh, chatting with us about whether um, our incubator will be a good match for them to contact me. I'll put my email address in the chat in a second. Um, again, we are um, also happy to help with you know, other resources and services. So I will say if anybody any entrepreneur um, has a question um, to, and see if you know, we are a good fit to help them, I would just tell them to contact me and then you know, we'll chat and, and figure out what the best uh, course of action is. But there, you know, I think uh, we approach it with um, a lot of flexibility and also um, a great community and network. So we always have um, great connections maybe to also suggest. So do not feel shy about reaching out to me. I'm, I'm very happy to help. So I would say um, if you know, if you are someone or know someone that has a passion or an idea that would fit in a social sector incubator, uh, my wonderful colleague, Amy Klein, is uh, in the room with us today. Um, and she's our director of programs and development, and she would be the door in. We have an application process. Um, she can share more about how we support uh, emerging leadership and emerging ideas. But then I would just invite anyone, you know, we're constantly seeking strategic partnerships, leverage opportunities, alignment opportunities. Uh, we currently support over 30 uh, nonprofit client and foundation clients. Uh, we have more than 35 currently incubated projects just inside our platform. We love to make connections. Um, so just learning about 
who we've got in our in our world and learning about what you do, you know, that's really an opportunity for synergy and support. So we always welcome that conversation. I just want to make a point before Linda speaks that we have RevHub doing incubation. We have Charitable Ventures doing incubation. We have 1OC that's doing uh, some fiscal sponsorship as a form of incubation. Um, there is no competition with this because there's way more organizations needing help than there are people doing it. So um, I think everybody on this call works together and uh, can work together. And I just wanted to make that point, but there are lots of places out there you can get help. Um, Linda, go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, I have to take full advantage of all this intellectual capital and expertise <laughs> with us today. Uh, but there are lots of ways uh, to, uh, to grow and intersect with the initiatives we have. If you know of a woman uh, who is uh, engaged in uh, developing a startup uh, and um, they would benefit from uh, going through our nonprofit um, accelerator, uh, please let us know. Or excuse me, through our Launchpad Accelerator, please let us know. Uh, if you know uh, of an opportunity for a woman to join a board, uh, we are developing a registry of women uh, based on their passion and interests uh, and areas of expertise. So we can make sure that we increase the number of women boards in uh, Orange County, nonprofit as well as corporate. Um, we're STEAM in the STEAM Fellows Program. Uh, we have some uh, great opportunities as well. There are organizations that I see here today that probably have STEM or STEAM programs uh, for young people that perhaps uh, K through 12. And we are asking our STEAM fellows, college and graduate students to complete five essential elements. And among them is please play it forward and work with uh, either one uh, young STEM student or group uh, or do some sort of day camp for STEM development programs that you might have that we can leverage. So there's lots of ways that you can involve. And I'm real happy to, uh, to talk with you about any of those opportunities. Uh, OctaneOC.org uh, and on the menu, it's community. Great, thank you, thank you. That, uh, that you know, I was a little fuzzy on all the things that you do at Octane OC. So it's good to know that you have specific programs for women entrepreneurs and for STEAM education and a fellowship program. Um, so, so that's all really, Fantastic. Anyone else want to chime in? Of course, if you want to join the student body at Cal State Fullerton, you could go to JJ's program. And we have our fellowship program, uh, which is really about um, kind of an entrepreneurial take on leadership in our sector um, that I mentioned earlier. So there's that. All right, then let, let me go on then to the next question. In what ways can we support and help each other to be more effective in strategic partnerships? So I think for some of you all, this is the first time you're meeting each other. And I see this as a tidal wave of new support for this very important thing in our community. How can we work better together as a group? Anybody want to tackle that one? Go ahead, Isabel. I'm going to try not to be too philosophical in my answer. Um, but I think, you know, taking the time to know each other and be creative about, um, you know, where our knowing where our expertise lies and how we can, you know, help each other to me um, would, would be a great start. You know, so, for example, um, you know, one of the things we've been working hard on is 
um, bringing advisors and experts in different fields, right? So um, we have, um, you know, great people, for example, in the education industry, food agriculture industry, which is held a pretty big summit about that last week. And, um, you know, the next day I happened to be judging the new venture competition at UC Irvine, where there were different and various entrepreneurs in that space. And, you know, and you really hit me right away. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, these guys need to talk to so-and-so because, you know, I've done a lot of advising. My background is in marketing, but, you know, I'm not an expert in, in specific sectors necessarily. And so just having the thought about, oh, wow, this is amazing because I just talked to this person, you know, connecting the dots to me is where you start. And, you know, we are humans and I think that's our work to do because robots can quite do it for us, I think, at this point, maybe in the future of AI, but... Um, I really also want to be in constant communication so we can, you know, kind of check with each other. Hey, you know, how can I help you? Or, you know, where have you been in the past month and what are your needs? And, um, and I really appreciate every time, you know, I, when Linda reached out uh, for, the, for the upcoming event, I'm like more than happy to be able to be a part of that because it's just a way of making our big world in Orange County maybe not so big anymore, you know, by really leveraging these connections and, and helping change, you know, change some of the system. Great. So let me turn it over now to Linda. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm going to feel the same way about this, I expect, as all of these uh, experts in the nonprofit field, which is do not, do not reinvent the wheel. There, there are probably organizations out there that are doing something you want to do better than you're doing it better than you could possibly afford to do it. So rather than reinvent the wheel, why don't we develop that strategic relationship, leverage their expertise uh, and bring that to the table in a strategic partnership, extends your existing resources and allows you to do more with less. And I think that has been uh, probably one of my uh, greatest mantras for my career um, which is that I, I'm not going to do something. And this, this is how I came to know Octane because people were pressing me when I was with the Greater Irvine Chamber. I was doing a, a full scope of economic development work and people were pressing me to do an incubator and an accelerator. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, why would I do that? Why would this chamber do that? There are organizations that are doing it really well and quite frankly, better than we could. So that's how that relationship was born. So I think that there's lots of opportunities uh, in, in this spectrum that I see here today for developing, uh, I think, greater and more uh, and deeper uh, strategic relationships. Lots of opportunity to work together, just as I've already worked with Anne and Isabel. So I thank you all for this opportunity because I think it's just the beginning. Yeah, and I, I just piggybacking on that, I think uh, this is a great opportunity for you all because we've got... Um, educators here, we have funders here, we have incubators here. And the more we're working together, the more successful we all are. I think that's something, you know, we all teach as great best practices for working in our sector, because we don't really compete with each other. We, we're much better off when we're working together. And with that, I will leave it open to you all to say anything that you'd like to add. And then I'm going to take questions from the audience. And we have no questions at this time. So um, we, we won't, you know, make this go any longer than it has to go, but I would love for you all to add anything that you feel like you, you didn't get a chance to say, and then we'll take some questions if there are any. If I may. Please. Um, so here we are today coming out of COVID. 
And I think we are witnesses and participants to major cultural change like we haven't seen since maybe 1968-69. I was a young person, but I, I was there. And then post-World War II. Uh, uh, and, and the response, for instance, that you saw from my entrepreneurship classroom, where probably 50% of them are embracing social enterprises, green technology, et cetera. I think what this is, is a, just an incredible timing to, uh, to make our community stronger and better. There is an awareness and a resiliency. There's availability of talent. Uh, there's uh, access to the capital markets, et cetera, that I, I haven't seen in my professional life. So I, I think that this is just extraordinary. And 10 years, we're going to look back at post-COVID as this renaissance for social enterprise, uh, for social justice, uh, for all these movements of change that are happening right now. So I, I know that I just jumped up into the clouds. But to me, it's just it's so obvious that, yes, this is the time to do it. This is the time to disrupt uh, uh, industries to improve them, uh, to make radical change. So thank I, you. I can't help but totally agree with that uh, sentiment. And Anne, you have your hand up? You know, I, I would say the last thing I would say to the group um, is that what's coming up for me is the thing that I've enjoyed most today is listening to people hold up amazing emerging ideas or successes. And I don't know where this lives. I think maybe it lives in Zoot, you know, Zoot is the platform for bringing us together, but how wonderful would it be if we continue with more regularity to hold up these emerging leaders, these emerging businesses as examples, uh, both to lift people up because we're tired uh, and it's hard work to start anything and to fight for innovation, especially uh, against social challenges. Uh, but also to keep reminding everybody that amazing work is being done uh, because that is also a source of hope. So I just listening to the stories and realizing that I haven't told our story very well and I want everyone to know about PK and I've got 35 other you know, emerging uh, enterprises that I would love everyone to know about. You know, I don't know what it looks like. Maybe I'll, you know, Amy and I can go huddle and figure out how we do it better. But just lifting those stories up, I think, is going to go a long way to inspiring people and to uh, generating more attention. So that's the thought coming up for me. And again, Zoot, I thank you for um, just providing the platform to even just think about it. That's that's a, a great gift. Brett, I see you have your hand up. Brett Ackerman is the uh, is the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Fullerton. Uh, Brett, did you want to say something? Yes, if it's kind of a question. So we, we as an organization went through kind of the social enterprise course, if you will. It was up at UCLA and they had partnered with an with a outside group. And we spent, I think it was an eight-week project. We went through, we pitched, and we actually won the money. The hardest part that I have, and I'm assuming a lot of nonprofits have, is once, once you have that idea – there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and I'm, I'm kind of looking for direction of where, you know, where to go from there, because we, we had this idea 
and people thought it was a good idea. We got money for the idea, but then it just kind of fell apart because well, Brett, what was the idea uh, to start a driving school? Because a lot of the kids these days are not, you know, they don't have the portion that usually was in the high schools that's been removed. And a lot of these kids are delaying getting their driver's license till they're 18, 20 years old. So our thought was to kind of integrate it with the club. So using the team category that we already had to deliver that to them at a cheaper price and then also offer it to the public. So, so you got some grant funding to get this started and then nobody wanted to support it after that. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, it was more the back end of, of kind of the business side of it was my, my dilemma. Is it, is it a separate business, you know, because there's a separate liability that's separate from the day-to-day operations of the boys and girls club. Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't really get anyone in my corner to help me and direct me on which way to go with that. You know, I'm, Isabel's got her hand up. I'm sure people will give you a lot of feedback. I can tell you from my experience at the Muckenthaler, where we did a wedding enterprise business as a side social enterprise, you know, we partnered with Colette's Catering, who was an expert at that, to do the main part of it. Have you thought about maybe partnering with a for-profit driving school to do it? That would be my suggestion. And then I'm sure Isabel and Ann have ideas as well. Um, did Did you consider that, Brett? Uh, we, we didn't actually, that wasn't on the, on the docket. Okay. Something you might want to consider, but, uh, Isabel, you may have a different suggestion. I like that suggestion, Zoot. I think like Linda said earlier, you know, first, like understand, you know, what I really will preach. And I think that's the value of incubators and maybe, and as a similar perspective, um, because, you know, I, I think what it is, is really building a business model, understanding that a lot of entrepreneurs or nonprofit leaders don't always have the, the business background, you know, and probably the things that JJ teaches uh, in his program. So to me, because, you know, we've done it so many times, it's not rocket science. You know, you start with, you know, the, the problem you're solving, understanding your market, the competition, you know, things that, you know, we do all day long, right, in an incubator. Um, I think that's really the, the value of joining an incubator because you will get the support there, you know, um, someone can help you go through the motion of this and also um, match with advisors. Again, consultants have also done that many times with various ventures and organizations. And once you have this business, I, I will call it business model in place, as you said, you know, um, I think this will be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be very complicated, but it will give you a good idea of whether there is, a, you know, it's a good solution. There is a good market fit there or not. Um, and that would be my thought. So hopefully you can get the support you need on that. And um, I'm sure Anne has a similar perspective maybe on what she, she offers the charitable ventures. Yeah, I just, um, you know, Brett, I think it's a beautiful example of how hard it is, especially when you are the Boys and Girls Club, because the other thing you're up against is expectations of what a nonprofit looks like and should do. Right. Um, so when you think about, okay, now we've got a commercial activity, and then you go to your board and you're like, hey, we want to set up a DBA or an LLC so we can put the earned income, but you know, protect the driving liability from the nonprofit. And oh, you're still the board, and we have to increase our DNO because we've just increased our liability, and we may have to pay tax on this unless we can prove it's exempt purpose, and everyone's going to run away screaming from you. <laughs> so it, it is viable, it is possible, but you're also 
pushing a boulder up a cultural hill. This is not the language most nonprofits speak. Yep. And so that's why you want to be best buddies with Isabel and JJ and have an advisory group around you because it's not just doing it, it's socializing it, acculturating it and getting people used to the risk. So I just, you know, applause to you, kudos to you, don't give up, but I think you've just unearthed why it's more than just starting a business. Right. It's starting a taxable business inside of a C3 and all the tax consequences of that. It is harder. If you ever hear anybody saying, oh, nonprofit is easy, just pull this card out. Yeah. It is harder to run a business inside a C3 than not. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. So kudos to you. Go talk to Isabel and JJ. I appreciate it. And JJ said, come see him. So yeah, JJ has <laughs> got something for you. Do you want to talk about that, JJ? Yeah, so I, I think the idea is brilliant. Uh, I think the timing's right. Uh, I've witnessed this with uh, college students still don't have their driver's license. Good Lord. I mean, I, I, I lusted for a driver's license when I was 12 years old. <laughs> and there's, there's something culturally at play that is different. But I, I think uh, it's a tremendous opportunity. And if it would work uh, for your uh, chapter here, it could work all over the U.S. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, a lot of work to be done. Right. Yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, I might say that uh, some of these opportunities are daunting in their complexity. And yeah. yes, there's risk. Uh, and, and this is where my uh, nonprofit organization, Center for Entrepreneurship, has some secret sauce. And I'm going to share it with you. So my I, I have four staff members. Uh, I have 200 students. I have 700 volunteers and I have volunteers that have been with my organization for nearly 20 years coming to the classroom every week, coming to the incubator. Uh, I, I've got uh, a, uh, uh, like a military, I've got a, a workforce that, uh, that helps me do what I do. Without that, uh, I don't think it would work. And so your organization, I think, has that same opportunity. I don't mean to talk down to you at all if, if, uh, if it feels that way. But uh, no. Great. Great solutions all the way around. I think, um, you know, when we did uh, at the Muckenthaler that I used to run before I was at Cal State Fullerton, it's a beautiful cultural center. And we had weddings there. And we renegotiated our contract when I came to get a percentage of the weddings in exchange for having a sole source caterer. And what was great about that was that we got a site fee and we got a portion of the weddings without doing much of the work or the business part of it or having any liability um, from the business part of it. And it was a slight upgrade on our insurance, but we were, you know, we were in pretty good shape. And so, you know, I'm always think it's great when you have a business idea to help a nonprofit to to find a business partner that does that because that, that can be very beneficial in many, many ways that you just heard. But um, if JJ is going to help you get it started and then you swing it across the country, Hey, I'm all for it, man. That sounds great. Do we have any other questions? I'll just add one more thing to that conversation is uh, my, my book, my boys went through the driver programs that we bought and they were horrible. So the, the, you're starting from a very low benchmark. You, if you do anything halfway decent, you're going to kill the competition. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, that's what we that's what we found in our research. 
Maybe you should be applying to the social innovation fund that Todd runs. I <laughs> <laughs> might after I meet with John. <laughs> Karen, you had a question. It's actually, hi, hello, first of all, hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here, sort of eavesdropping on your brilliance. Um, I wanted to piggyback onto something that JJ said, though, about the renaissance that we're currently experiencing. And I, uh, I have the privilege right now of being a reviewer for two different innovation prizes. One is directed at, uh, or directed toward 12 to 18 year old girls globally. Uh, and the other is, you may be familiar with it, the JMK Innovation Prize. And in both cases, but particularly in the JMK Prize, the submissions that I'm seeing come through, it actually puts a lump in my throat because I'm a bit of a sap that way, but I almost everything is a product in some way of this period that we're emerging from, both you know from the health issues to social justice, everything. And so JJ, you you had me at hello because that was I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in real time, and it's going to be really fascinating to see where some of these brilliant, so you know, heartfelt considered projects end up. But anyway, just piggybacking onto that. Thank you, everyone. Well, and that's a great place for me to say that we are starting a renaissance in the post-COVID revolution, and you guys are the forefront, the foam at the top of the tidal wave that is coming, and it's only because of you guys that we're going to be set up for it in Orange County. So how about a big round of applause to all of our panelists? Thank you for your work. You can use the virtual emoji applause if you'd like. But thank you for all of your work and for everything you do. Thank you to the Gene Eschy Center for Nonprofit Research, California State University Fullerton, and the College of Business and Economics for supporting our podcast. Our supporters include the Orange County Community Foundation, Southern California Gas Company, and you, our listeners. Thanks for the music provided to us by the California-based Brazilian Coro Ensemble, Grupo Falso Baiano. Have a great week, free from BS. Mm -hmm.